Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, and welcome everybody to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, Shrinning Poon, this episode 288. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Prez, that is at underscore Presidente on Twitter. Prez, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Hanging in there. Just, uh, you know, watching these poverty franchises and their playing games. That's all. Yeah, it's hard out here for... The uh, the proletariat of the NBA. I feel like I'm one of the dudes in like the the raised booths watching the motherfuckers joust or like battle gladiator style to the <laughs> death or whatever. That's dark. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty fucking extreme. Yeah, it's pretty dark if your team is stuck battling for the play. And... It is. Uh, fortunately, those are not our problems. We have. Rich people problems nowadays. Uh, but before we get started, I do have to make a few announcements. The first being that Strickland has an Instagram. Check it out. That is at the Strick.land on Instagram. We are posting all kinds of new content on there. Strickland also has a YouTube channel where you may be watching this podcast. If you are, hit like and then subscribe to the channel if you already have not done so. That would be a huge help to us. The Strickland also has merchandise. I'm not wearing any of it right now, uh, but we did drop a new line. The Quicklin line, check that out. Sweatshirts, t-shirts, there are shorts, there are hats, there are other things that I can't think of. We even have an RJ Barrett water bottle still available on there. So check it out. We have a bunch of stuff. Finally, the Strickland has a Patreon, which you can subscribe to. There are a number of different tiers. There is a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland, this podcast that I host every Friday with Prez. You also get access to... The Strickle Mailbag, hosted by Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, a.k.a. The Doug Bag, alongside Dallas Amico. That comes out every other week. Finally, you get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. There are further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to Strickland Roll, my solo pod where I rant and rave about the next even more. You also get access to wonderful premium articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. There are further tiers, $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits, like listening in on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. So, without further ado, let's get started. Um, <clears throat> the Knicks tip off their round one series against the Cleveland Cavaliers, 6 p.m. Saturday night. Uh, we still do not know if Julius Randle will be available for that game. He apparently has not gone through any contact in practices yet, although he has been doing portions of practice with the team. Uh, I don't know. I probably would not play him game one. I would also buy him, I think, an extra three days rest before game two. I think that might be a good good idea, but we'll see how the Knicks approach it. Um, Prez, I know you had thoughts on the series that you wanted to talk about, so I'm going to let you do that. Yeah, sure. 
And I'm with you. Um, the with the schedule dropping, what was it yesterday? And us having the the break between <laughs> games one and two. Um, you hope there's a little less urgency. Although, I mean, seven games is not a lot of games, so this is a relative statement. And you know, I, I could see him playing if he's not a hundred percent. The question is where you draw the line, and <clears throat> that's not something. I'm equipped to do from my couch. Uh, so hopefully the Knicks just make a call and hopefully it's the right call. But um, yeah, my thoughts were uh, not Julius specific, just thinking about um, where these two teams are at right now. Um, I was looking at some of the individual and team stats basically since the All-Star break, which is 20 games, maybe a little more than that. Um, depending on if the player sat games or was injured or things like that. And just looking for interesting trends because, you know, we, we often, you know, on the Knicks side of things, we hear like, all right, these are our statistics since Quentin Grimes came into the lineup and since Josh Hart entered the lineup and things like that. And, and those are more accurate than season-wide numbers. So I, I'm looking for different recency thresholds for the Cavs and for some of the individual players that are kind of like that um in no particular order um it's we'll talk more about this a little later but you know Grimes I I think we've all known that obviously he's been hooping but until I actually looked at his stats since the all-star break I didn't really realize just quite how much he was hooping he's in those 20-something games, he's basically 50, 45, 80. On this is after the All-Star break? Yeah, on 69 true shooting percentage. Ooh, and, nice. Yeah, which, which is like an insane number. And, you know, obviously... 69 has, is an insane number. There you go. Nice. Let the people <laughs> know you can only get this if you pay for it on Patreon. Um, but, yeah, uh, he... You know, we've seen it. In the recent games with the injuries, but it, it started long before that. Um, so I think he's going to play a key role and how Tibbs balances the minutes between him, Hart, and RJ is going to be really important because those guys' minutes can get downshifted or upshifted depending on how they're playing. And uh, Grimes and Hart are playing really well and RJ is not. So it's, you know, it's... It's tricky here. RJ is going to have to have a quick hook, but he also will have opportunities to score because our four and five will occupy their four and five and everybody else on the court. One, two, three is probably food for RJ if he's not being dumb about it. Um, he should be able to drive on the guards. He should be able to drive on Okoro, Chetty, Karras. He probably can't. It's going to, still going to be hard to finish over the bigs, but if one of the bigs is contesting, that means one of our bigs is free. So as Tibbs is often says, the game will tell him what to do, and whether he listens is up to him, and then it's up to RJ, I mean up to Tibbs, to figure out what to do if RJ's not listening, right? So um, to bring it back to, to Grimes, Grimes is pretty obviously the safe play here if you want to give RJ a quick hook and he gives you more shooting than Hart. So I think I think Tim should strongly consider really upticking Grimes' minutes. Um, I know he starts the game, but beyond that. Um, another thing 
the rebounding battle. Um, I think this is a, I've said it before. I think the Knicks, if Julius is healthy, can win this matchup. And I think the main reason is because our biggest strength is their biggest weakness. And I don't think that happens very often. Um, since the all-star break, their defensive rebound percentage, they being Cleveland is, I'll let you guess, Schwinn. Uh, the defensive rebound percentage? Yeah, I'll give you a hint. I think it's, it's nice. 69.2%. That's right. Or 69.7. Exactly. Yeah. Which is, um, if that was a full season number, it would be the worst of any playoff team of the last four years. Um, and it makes sense if you look at it. Aside from Allen and Mobley, everybody on their team is literally garbage at rebounding. So uh, we have a chance to really punch them in the mouth on the glass and... I think Randall is probably a better rebounder than Mobley, and Mitch is probably a better overall rebounder than Allen, just because of his size. So you could literally have like rebounding mismatches at every single spot on the floor for a majority of the game, for the most part. So um, that is that is something that I feel like people are sleeping on. We'll see. Um, what else here? What else here? Um, our half court defense. The other reason to kind of quick hook RJ is if you look at our lineup data since the All-Star break, our defense is kind of shaky, but that really stems mostly from our most commonly used lineup having RJ Barrett and Jalen Brunson. It's it didn't help surprise. that we had a long stretch with Sims in there too instead of Mitch. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, my favorite defender on the team. Yep. Um, we know this. Your guy. Just kidding, Sims. I love you. Uh, please do your do your duty if called upon in this playoff series. Um, but seriously, like every lineup that only has one bad defender, that is only one of RJ or Jalen Brunson, is a really good defensive lineup in the minutes since the All Star break. And of course, you're talking about overall small sample size for all of the a lot of these minute combinations you're talking about like 30 40 50 minutes mostly closer to 30 but it makes sense intuitively if you think about it so it's easier to hide one defender hiding two is fucking impossible in today's modern nba where every offense is like would have been the greatest offense of all time like four years ago or whatever so uh yeah, more more just uh, dangerous waters there for Tibbs to maneuver through in terms of substitutions and all that. Um, my hope is that that becomes a begin-the-half lineup, and then, you know, we get that for five or six minutes. And if it's cooking, cool, let them cook. If not, adjust, pivot, and keep it moving. Um, on the Cleveland side of things, I think uh, – I know Okoro is uh, – I think he got hurt, and he's like – questionable he maybe will play maybe will not I feel like he's probably gonna play i'm not sure yeah um the it's interesting okoro's like he's the best defender of their three right chetty okoro and uh Karras. but he's also weirdly the worst rebounder he's definitely the worst shooter um Karras, Karras has been on a heater uh He's been shooting like over 40% since after the All-Star break. He's at a hair under 40% on the season. And he's a part of 
like the the lineups with the four good players and Karras blows the lineup with the four good players and the other and and Chetty and um Okoro away since the All Star break, and even though Chetty has the the best of the the best plus minus of the three on the year, I'm again I'm not really I don't really give a shit about like how the lineups were working in October, November, December. So I'm looking at Karras like. I need you to turn back into the bum that I know that you are. None of this fucking 50, 40, 75 shit that he's been doing for 22 games or else uh, life's going to be really hard for the Knicks. Um, So, yeah, I I think those are some things I think have been a little under-discussed and I wanted to just get them out there. I had talked about them on Twitter. Um, Of course, these are all more... Aside from the RJ substitution things, I would categorize these more as like much more minor in the larger scheme of things, right? Like Jalen has to not necessarily beat Donnie Mitchell, but he has to be in the race in terms of just pure volume scoring. Julius has to be healthy for the most part. Um, we got a another thing I didn't tweet about, but like we part of our grifty offense is low turnovers. The Cavs are the best in the NBA at generating turnovers. Um, They have had zero success generating turnovers against us in four matchups. None of the matchups resulted in above average turnovers for the Knicks. Um, Every single one of those games was nine or 10% turnover rate, which is normal for us. So um, in terms of play style, the Knicks have been able to control it in every matchup. Um, I don't see why that would really change just because, again, we're like an ISO-heavy team, which is not good for their brand of defense, which is built for, like, modern move-the-ball, brilliant offenses like the Kings or some shit. Like, they they have all these big guys who can generate steals. They have Mobley, who's designed to be, like, a Giannis-type super helper roamer. And our offense is, like, the antithesis of all that modern move-the-ball read and react kind of shit where having roamers to cover mistakes and let your one, two, three guys be aggressive. Like none of that shit works versus the Knicks. So, um, you know, we, we talk a lot about the Knicks and, uh, and I'll toss a, a question for you here. Like we're obviously really familiar with the ways the Knicks could pivot, right? Like you could have the fast bench lineup. You could get RJ the fuck out of there. You can do any number of things. But for a team like Cleveland, do you just roll with your strategy and just hope it works? Like, I feel like because of their depth, like, what do they have pivots? I don't, I don't, I feel like they kind of have to sink or swim with their strategy. They don't have many other ones, but maybe I'm tripping. I don't know. Um, yeah, no, I don't think they have any pivots. Not lineup wise, I mean, maybe tactically yeah, right. stuff out there, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't see what they would really go to unless. I don't know, two of like those three guys, so Chetty, Okoro, Levert are really hooping in the series, then maybe they can afford to go small and try it out at times, especially if Julius is out. But aside from that, no, like I and I don't think even if they are, that that's a very likely scenario. So I kinda just think they're they're doing what they do and that's what it is. Um Yeah, I mean I know they've played a lot of minutes this year where you know, without Allen, without Mobley, without Garland, I think Mitchell's played most of the season, but like for the most part, when those four are healthy, they're going to be taking. I mean, what the least 
you imagine one of them would play would be like what thirty five minutes or something in a series. Mm-hmm. You got to figure Garland and Mitchell are going to play close to forty, uh, if not more. Um, then maybe Mobley and Allen play a little bit less because Bigs tend to play a little bit less. But yeah, I mean, other than that, I just don't think that there's much for them to experiment with because their depth is awful because they traded all of it for Donovan Mitchell. Um, so we'll see how that works out for them. Um, things worth noting, you talked about, uh, you know, how like stuff earlier in the season is not as relevant as stuff later in the season. Um, there's still this notion of like the Knicks are a bad shooting team. Since January 1st, the Knicks have played 45 games. Went 28 and 17 in those games. They rank Tied 11th in three-point percentage over that time, 36.7%. And they are shooting 7th most threes per game in the NBA. I would imagine if you did that by three-point attempt rate, they would rank even higher because they play at a very fucking slow pace. Um, Since the All-Star break, to kind of show how consistent they've been, they rank 8th in three-point attempts per game at 37.5%. And they rank 11th in three-point percentage at 37.6. So you can break these numbers down however you want to break them down. The Knicks have been a pretty good fucking shooting team. At least a solid, above-average shooting team now for more than half the season. Um, and and honestly, I hate doing this because it's not exactly exactly accurate. But like, aside from RJ, who in this rotation right now that shoots threes, are you, you like, they're a bad shooter? Nobody. Yeah, yeah. There, there's guys who like you can bet you can. There's guys like Obi and Hart, which you can you can ignore them and say like we'll make them beat the beat us, but they're not bad shooters and they will beat you. That's the thing. Like Obi ended ended the year thirty five percent from three, I think, on like thirty four point five on like Buddy Healed level three point rate for no reason, right? And then. Hart obviously shot like in, he, uh, he shot fifty percent on catch and shoot since the All Star break. That'll come down, but like he was he also shooting up for him. He also doesn't take that much volume, so it's like it coming down doesn't matter that much. Yeah, and usually, I mean, like his shots are good shots as well. Like Obi takes some pretty tough catch and shoot threes, but Hart's are. Like he'll. That's what I'm saying. Like there, this isn't like a Okoro type situation. This is more like guys like Karis or Chetty, who like I might call them bums, but they're not awful shooters. Like they're fine, and most of the Knicks are actually more than fine when you consider difficulty and three point rate. Right? Like quickly, he's not the highest three point rate in the world, but it's not low, and he takes a ton of pull ups, and he'll take them from anywhere off of. At any given moment, Julius' percentage is middling, but he has he puts them up like a motherfucker. Um, obviously, Brunson and Grimes are very good shooters, and you know that's it. That's, look at that. That's most of the shots on the team, really. Like aside from RJ, like you said. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I just. I mean, I can even look it up in more painstaking detail here but um i i think they've been a bit of a victim of just like 
relativity of the league's top offenses, right? Like you still see teams like the Pacers or the Kings or the Warriors and they put them up, right? They're running and gunning and the Knicks don't do that. So it doesn't, and the Knicks are just such a brutal paint team. So the, it, it, it doesn't fit the image of good shooting high three point rate team. But I mean, th- these are the numbers since just individual players. So this is from mm-hmm. January 1st to the end of the season. Mm-hmm. In 34 games, Brunson, 45.6% from three on 5.3 attempts per game. Quickly, 6.3 attempts per game, 39.5% from three. Grimes, 6.2 attempts per game, 39.4% from three. Hart, 2.1 attempts per game, 51.9% from three. Uh, Deuce McBride, 1.8, 35.7. Deuce is probably not going to play too much in the series, so whatever. Uh, Obi Toppin, 3.6 attempts per game, 34% from three. Julius Randle, 9 attempts per game, 33.8% from three. Then R.J. Barrett, uh, 5.3 attempts per game, 29.1% from three. Hartenstein has stopped, yeah, has stopped <laughs> shooting threes, which is good. Mitchell Robinson has never shot a three, which is even better. So, I mean, again, like, I I don't like doing this, but it really does come down to, like, the team is effectively a very good shooting team. Um, Almost around the across the board, especially when you adjust for position and difficulty of shots in the case of Obi and Randall. Uh, they're pretty much a very good shooting team. It's just they need R.J. Barrett to... Jump along for the party. Uh, these are the numbers since since the All-Star break. Uh, Josh Hart, 1.7 attempts per game, 47.4% from three. Quentin Grimes, 6.9 attempts per game, 45% from three. Jalen Brunson, 5.3 attempts per game, 43.8% from three. Emmanuel Quickly, 7.6 attempts per game, 40.1% from three. Julius Randle, 9.4 attempts, 35.8% from three. Obi and Obi's at 4.4 attempts, 33.3% from three. Uh, Deuce, 33.3% from three on 1.8 attempts. And then RJ Barrett, uh, 27.3% from three on five attempts per game. Like, yeah, if... It, this is what it is. Like, I, there's really no point, like... It's not really, like, beating a dead horse. It's just, like, an obvious fact. Um, you have Quickly, you have Hart, you have Grimes. Those guys have been playing better than R.J. Barrett. And they've their minute share has increased as, minute share has increased since the trade deadline, which is no small thing. At, at some point, he can't bench R.J., so that's just what it is. Um, but, like, I've seen a lot of people, like, talk about, well, we need to give R.J. time. Like, you got to at least give him a shot in the playoffs, and then you can see after a couple of games. Like, I don't know if you have a couple of games. Like, yeah, I, it's definitely not the time. You have to assess it like how you assess, like how the Knicks used to assess, like J.R. Smith. Like it's like, oh, does he have it going? No. Okay, then today's not one of those J.R. Smith days. We can't be having this fucking give him the whole half, and then he goes over ten or whatever. Well, you I don't can. care if you, he turns you, it around. You can if he's not if he's playing fine on if he's competing on defense. He's playing good defense. And if he's not making stupid decisions, if he's not taking stupid shots, yeah, that's fair. You can you can yeah. do it then, but it can't be, 
it can't be all of that. Like that, and that's really been the issue for him this year. Is like there's just too many nights where it's bad defense, bad shooting, bad decision making, and right. that's it. Like so, you have to play it by ear, but it's it's going to be hard. Like he's he's got to really start the series off well. Because if he doesn't, like those three guys, like if let's put it this way, if all four of those guys started off the series shooting like shit, I would still prefer to have either Hart or Grimes or quickly on the floor over RJ, given what we've seen over the last I don't know, forty five games, let's call it, since the new year. And like that's just what it is. So you know, I'm sure that people people will think that's like hate or over the top or whatever, but like it's not. It's really just what one I feel when I've been watching the games, and two, looking at the fucking raw numbers, like just kind of drives it home. Whether it be some as simple an exercise as this, where we just look through the three point percentages these guys are shooting, or if you want to look at on off data, on court data. Whatever impact, whatever you want to look at, it does not paint a pretty picture for RJ. That's just what it is. Um, you know, you mentioned this is a good matchup for him. I, I don't know if I'd say that. I think it's. I actually think it's like a. I think it's like a deceptive matchup for him because I think you can kind of bait him into. You totally can bait him. You can bait. Him. <laughs> you can bait yeah. him into like, oh look, we have Garland on you. You should totally hunt this mismatch. And, he and then even if he does drive, it's like, okay, do you tr- do we trust RJ to make the pass? No, well, and, RJ and, has the lowest pass rate on the team on drives. It's like, not even. I mean, it's not even just that. To me, it's like he has a bad habit of getting too deep into the paint and then picking up his dribble, and then mm-hmm. he has has to end up taking like these, you know, takes pivots like six times and then takes some weird floating hook shot thing. Like he he just puts himself in bad positions and then compounds it by like like if you dribble too far into the paint you pick up your dribble just kick it out to somebody and then move on like he doesn't do that a lot of times unless it's like he knows that he's setting somebody up for a shot i don't actually think it's like he's hunting for an assist i think he just feels like it's like the randall thing right where randall will like he he'll like look wait forever for the double team and then finally make the pass once he's like a guy's wide open it's like dude you don't need to try to hit a home run here just make the simple play. And I think that's really like one of the issues both those guys have. But in this case, RJ, we're talking about um, just making simple plays and like keeping it moving over. Like he, he just doesn't do that enough. And um, I, I think I understand why people think this is a good matchup for him. And I think in theory, it makes complete sense and it should be, but like, I just think you can, I think they can bait him. I think they can really bait him into over penetrating, over dribbling, um, I think they can, which, you know, in turn, I think takes us out of any type of offensive flow we have. It also takes the ball out of more efficient scores, hands like Jalen Brunson. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I'm just like, I can't, I would love to feel like, oh man, he's gonna, he's gonna shut people up. It's gonna, like, I've been waiting. I've been talking about this for a while. Like I've been waiting after all-star break. I've been like, Yes, and some of his his passing has been better, but it's not good enough considering the rest of what he's still struggling at. Can't buy a three. Can't. He's just been really poor on defense. Like I think his effort is better right now, 
but he's just moving so bad. And then you look at some of his transition takes. I don't even know what he's doing on some of them. Um, he's just moving slow. It's really sluggish. I'm not optimistic about it. Um, and I worry that they can bait him into taking bad shots. I worry that I don't even necessarily believe this is entirely a tips thing, but I think for reasons unrelated to just on-court play, he has to play R.J. Barrett a certain amount, and that's we just have to hope that R.J. can turn it around, um, or at least play better than he has in the regular season. Um, and then, like, I just, you know, the rebounding, the effort on defense, all that stuff is like, you know, can he? Will he do that? Will Will he bring that to the table? It's been very hit or miss all year. A lot of misses, and uh, I don't know if you're Tibbs, and you're really trying to win this series. Like, I don't know how much of a leash you can have with RJ because I don't. Not because I. I actually don't know if we'll get wiped down his minutes or something like that. I don't think we will. But the margin, the margins to me in this series are pretty fine, and they're even more fine without Randall, if Randall's going to miss any time, you need to be winning those margins. You need to be aggressive on the margins. And the R.J. Barrett situation is definitely one worth watching. It's probably the one worth watching uh, for us anyways on, on this roster. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I I like our matchups. I think R.J. is definitely a wild card. You can call him the X Factor if you want to, whatever you want to call him. I I'm not really bullish about it, but um, you are right. He is bigger than everybody on their team. He can get to the rim if he makes the right plays. That can really tilt stuff in the Knicks' favor. He just has not shown the capacity to do it consistently yet this year, or really throughout most of his career in the NBA, as far as creating out of drives. Anyway, I, and I and I just got to say this: the other part of this too is like if he had a any modicum of like a competent pull up jump shooting game this would be a very different conversation. Like, if he, if you're going to put Garland on him and RJ had a proficient just elbow jumper, mid-range jumper, whatever, I think that could change the conversation. But he doesn't have that. So, to me, it's like, you're talking about a guy who does all his shot creation off the dribble work at the rim, three to ten, like at least, you know, at the rim or in the paint. It's not much outside of that. And that is where their big boys are going to be. That's where Evan Mobley's going to be. That's where Jared Allen's going to be. We'll see. He shot worse from the field. He shot worse from two against them over the course of the year than than from three. So um, it's also something to keep track of. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting. Like, I think you summed it up best for him when you said, like, you can't have all of the things going wrong at the same time. Like, if you don't have your three ball falling, like, who were we playing the other day where he went, like, 0 of 9 from 3, but, like, 12 of 16 from 2 or New whatever? Orleans. Yeah, shit like that. Like, I'll sign up for that. Like, games where he's just, like, passable on defense, and then the two-point stuff is there or the three-point. Like, I'm not being greedy here. Just just give me some, some level. Because literally any of that, like increases the margin so heavily for the rest of the team. Um, and, you know, it, it, it would make things a lot easier. But then on the other hand, like you said, like 
the other way you can increase the margins is by just putting someone else on the floor. <laughs> and that's a lot more certain of a tactic. So if I'm Tibbs, you know, he likes, and Randall's healthy, he likes to open up the game with Randall um, getting his perimeter game going. That's especially important versus the Cavs because Mobley's a roamer and you want to curtail Mobley's ability to roam by um, establishing Julius from the perimeter early. And if Julius is going from the perimeter early and Mobley's not roaming as much, theoretically, that makes everyone else's penetration easier. So that's when RJ can um, bully the fuck out of whoever. And then he still has to deal with fucking Jared Allen, which is Allen is the one you bet on there, not RJ. But, um, you know, you can you hope he makes the right decision, score on the little guy, pass to your big guy, whatever. So so we'll see. He's shooting 41.4% from two against the Cavs this year. That's 12 of 29 from the field. He's shooting shooting 10 of 23 from three uh, against the Cavs this year, um, which is 43.5% from three. Last time he played them. This is the thing that's worth noting, though. Um, three of those games came before his real decline as a shooter. Uh, mm-hmm. The last game was end of March, or literally the last day of March, two of seven from three. Uh, he's gone three of four. was... M- and that was Mobley only, I think. Yeah, it was. Uh, they, they have. He's gone three of four, two of seven. He went two of seven. Uh, this is probably worth noting. Uh, he, he went two of seven in the game that also only featured Evan Mobley. Um, that was the game on December fourth. Then he went three of five in the game on January twenty fourth, and then he went two of seven in another game where it was just Evan Mobley. Um, I, that might just be. That's probably just a coincidence. Not really relevant to anything, but like. He went, I mean, I think this is worth learning. He went 6 of 10 from, or sorry, he went, holy shit. Uh, he went 3 of, <laughs> he went 3 of 6 from 2 um, in the first game against Cleveland. And then other than that, he's been pretty, pretty bad against them from the paint. He went 2 of 7 inside the arc against them on January 24th. He went, um, sorry, 3 of so I three of six again against them on uh, December fourth, and then he went yeah, four of ten against them on well, in the in in the final game we played against them. He's just not really done a lot of damage inside the arc at any type of consistent volume, and I do think that's because of you know the guys that they have on their roster, and that you know it's just I I just think it's a bad matchup for him, and until I see it, I. I'll remain skeptical because I just think, you know, if I'm going to, if all these guys were going to struggle shooting, I'd rather bet on the guys that have consistently given me value in other things. And they've also been better scorers from the field, at least more efficient scorers from the field. So we'll see. Um, you know, he's got a chance now in the playoffs, new slate, regular season's over with. He's got a chance to kind of rewrite the season for himself, but. You know, it doesn't erase what we saw over the last 82 games. So hopefully he turns around. That'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah. He just, you know, I put it at the end of my tweet thread. It's like, well, guys like him and Karras, who are going to both probably get around 20 minutes a game at least, um, maybe less if their coaches are radical, maybe more if they have it going. Like RJ's got RJ got to win that matchup. It can't be can't be worse. Um, and that seems like 
it should be easy, but for all the reasons you said, it's not. Karras has been scoring far better than RJ. Karras has been part of the be- the Cavs' best defensive lineups. RJ's been part of the Knicks' worst defensive lineups. Um, RJ's been part of some good scoring lineups, so, you know, it's, there's, there's stuff there, but like you said, it's, it's not been consistent or, uh, organized really. So, RJ, be less bad than Karras. That's all I ask. Yeah, I mean, I, I just want to say this because I've spent a lot of time being negative about RJ last few pods, but like, honestly, the most annoying part of this season for me watching him is like, so this year, he posted the second highest true shooting of his career, 53.1. It's not a very high mark. It's not a very good mark. But uh, it is the second highest of his career. Why do I bring this up? Well, he posted by far the worst three-point percentage of his career on the second highest volume of his career. 31.31% from three on the dot on 7.8 attempts per game. He also... Uh, Put up the best. Sorry, that was a that's per hundred possessions uh, per game. He averaged. He he took five point three attempts per game. Uh, why this is notable to me is he managed to have the second highest shooting percentage of his career. Why? Because his two point percentage took a massive spike, huge, like like genuinely a very big spike uh, over his first three years in the NBA. Forty four and a half percent from two. By season, 43.2%, 45.7%, This year, 49.5% from two. That's good. That's not bad. That's that's a big, tangible leap. It just doesn't stand out because he just... I don't know what the hell's going on with this rebound, but it's been really bad. And I, I've seen people talk about it was maybe the finger injury against Dallas. That And maybe it is. To me, it doesn't look like that. It looks more like... Something is off with his lift. And I, I don't know if he's hurt or not. Like, I would probably take some solace in the fact if, like, he came out after season's over and it's like, oh, he's getting fucking hernia surgery or something. I'd be like, oh, okay, well, that maybe explains a lot of why he just looks so slow and had no lift on his three and stuff. But um, if there is a silver lining for him this season, it's been, like, the three-point percentage, I mean, that's a very sizable leap that he's made there. It's it's a good one. I mean, it, it, it still needs to get better, but it's not nothing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And th- and that's that's my hope is that, like, not everything's clicking and he just has a master class series. My hope is just like, yo, get hot from two or get hot from three. Don't get torched in pick and roll. Because that's going to be the, the biggest you know, the Cavs, Donnie and Garland, for all their talents, they don't isolate, like, mano y mano. When they isolate, it's usually, like, screen then isolate. So, uh, th- you know, they're going to make RJ run around a screen and test his speed and mobility and all that. And then he'll have to dance with them, which is also hard. But, like, you can't be getting hit by the screen and then not affecting the roller or the ball handler, which is something RJ has really loved to do this season is to just be there and do nothing. So uh, just like compete on defense with RJ. It really is an effort thing on defense. It's not like he doesn't know what the fuck to do. And then like you said, like maybe he 
struggles from two but hits open threes, like yeah, I'll sign up for that shit. I do think um we haven't really seen it Tibbs I mean we only have one playoff series to go off of, but we know that Tibbs, who is normally loath to change, does so when his back is against the wall. So my hope is that in a playoff series, um he'll do a slightly more aggressive version of what we've already seen him do in the last 20 games since we've gotten Josh Hart, which is like Josh Hart. There's been plenty of games where Josh Hart has played more than RJ Barrett and Quentin Grimes has played more than RJ Barrett. So he'll probably do a little bit more of that. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, one reason why I still uh, hold out hope for RJ Barrett, not even hope, but like I still kind of feel like it'd be a mistake to sell low on him. Is uh, I watched the playing game yesterday and I watched OJ and Obi and he fucking sucks. So, just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, I'm sure that will motivate RJ enough to uh, hoop versus Jared Allen and and Chetty Osman. Yep. We just need to send him messages of how much better he is than OJ on an Obi. Maybe we should, or maybe we have to tell him he's got to get traded for OJ and Obi. Maybe he doesn't want to go back to Canada. Um. If I was him, I wouldn't want to go back to Canada if I was on the Knicks. Yeah, I mean, he just... There's no way he's in the fucking optimal shape for himself right now. Like, He's not. He's, he's not. fucking, like, huge and, like, doesn't have... His muscles don't have the type of definition that, like, you kind of would want him to have. It's just, like... It's like he's molding into like morphing into like Paul Pierce body, but he's not Paul Pierce. It doesn't make sense to have that type of body. Like he's smaller than Pierce and Mello and those guys. Like I don't I feel like he's just getting too big. And I, I really I I don't think it's like he's fat or he's not working. I think it's like if you look at the pictures of up. him from the end of his rookie year and the beginning of his very good second year, like I'll look at those pictures now, and I'm like, holy shit, R.J. Barrett was fucking tiny. But R.J. Barrett wasn't tiny. He was still bodying people back then. He was still 220 pounds. He's just had way less mass compared to now. That's the thing that's so striking to me. It's like, dude, you were... you. He was like... He was lean as fuck. Even looking at him at Duke, I'm like, wow, he looks fucking malnourished. Like, no, Prez, he's not malnourished. He was like 215 at Duke, 210 at Duke. He just probably 25 pounds less than he is now. And like, it just, yeah, I mean, we've beaten that horse to death. He he, he needs to, whether it's in New York or other, or somewhere else um, next year. I mean, he's going to be playing with, FIBA, with the FIBA team. I don't know what, how many weeks of the summer that, that commitment is in terms of practice through the end of the tournament or whatever but he's certainly going to play more basketball than he did last summer but I suspect for him the big change will occur if it occurs it will occur when he's not playing basketball right like if he didn't already slim down playing through the NBA season he's not going to magically slim down in a month of FIBA so it's going to take some some real cutting and grinding uh, in in the remaining month or two or three or whatever of of the summer, if he wants to 
revive his usefulness as an NBA starter, or else he's gonna, you know, go the the way of guys like Harris Levert or Andrew Wiggins, but pre Golden State and just become like a weird, not albatross, but just like a player that nobody's fucking with, and he becomes useful for trade salary reasons. Um, yeah, we'll see. Let's save that one for the off season. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.